Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Here we go, here we go, another episode of Believe in Horse Racing with Ken Rudolph. I get to be Ken Rudolph again today, lucky, lucky me, and lucky you for hanging out with us again. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you so much for all the people who have been subscribing, rating, and reviewing our product. It is brought to you by the good kids at the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals, and we're coming to you from Los Angeles, California, IA. This week, um, we kind of touched on it last week. We kind of talked about jockey agents, and we were so lucky to have Hall of Fame jockey, who is now a jockey agent, Julie Crone, talk about that transition. So I kind of wanted to dig deeper into that. And today we have two of the more prominent jockey agents in the industry. The first up will be the king. The man has been doing this for four decades, and I don't think there's ever been a jockey agent who's had more success than Ron Anderson. He has had the book of uh, legends, Fernando Toro. Then he had uh, Gary Stevens. He had the late, great Chris Antley. He had Jerry Bailey. He had the late, great Garrett Gomez. Now he has Hall of Famer John Velasquez and the outstanding Joel Rosario. So if anyone can tell us about how jockeys do this job, where there's no school, there's no training, Ron Anderson can tell us. And then after that, we're gonna segue into the new school of jockey agent. And a young man that I met when he was just a little boy, and he is definitely born into this sport. He has the pedigree for it. His name is Jose Santos Jr. He's the son of Hall of Fame jockey Jose Santos, but we call him Jojo. And we'll talk to him about being an agent. And he has three riders that he represents, and all three are successful. He has David Cabrera, who just absolutely crushes at Remington and other tracks in that circuit. He has Miguel Mena, who's a really nice rider who's been riding in Kentucky for almost two decades now and is really on a hot streak right now. And he has Declan Carroll, who's also a really good rider. So we're going to talk to these agents about how we do this old school and new school and uh, how they're adjusting to COVID-19 restrictions because being a jockey agent is all about relationships. It's all about who you know and that trainer trusts you and the owner and the trainer and you guys have a thing and you get your jockey on that horse. And sometimes it takes a little while of talking to get that jockey on that horse. So we'll talk to them about that. And they also, well, specifically, little Jojo gave us a really important horse to look out for this weekend. So we're going to do that right now as we get into this week's edition of Believe in Horse Racing. And, and, and always incorporated in our conversation now was discussing diversity, equality, inclusion, equity, all those things that they've never discussed before in horse racing. They act like it doesn't exist, but we're trying to kind of open up the conversation about things of that nature and, and just make it uh, this a safe space for everyone to express your opinion about how you feel about those things. We're going to do all of that right here in this episode of Believe in Horse Racing. Really appreciate you all hanging out with us. Let's get down to it. We're going to meet Ron Anderson, who is the <laughs> top jockey agent in the game right now. Here we go, everybody. We are standing by now with Big Money. 
He is the most successful jockey agent in the business, and his resume speaks for itself. He has been one of the top and most successful agents as far as jockey agents are concerned in the past 20 years. We'll talk about all the Hall of Fame riders that he's had a chance to represent. We want to get it started right now and welcome in our guest. It is the super agent. It is Ron Anderson on the line right now. Ron, are you there? Well, Kenny, thank you very much for that introduction. I, I, I hope I warrant all that. Oh, if people don't know who you are already, once we start talking about what it is that you do and what it is that you have been able to accomplish, they will completely understand and why that uh, introduction was warranted and not even big enough. What we're talking to you about is because for me, being a jockey agent is such an it's just a really interesting occupation. And it's and it's really one where you kind of have to carve out your own niche and you kind of have to make your own rules. And, and with that, we talk about the fact that right now you are the jockey agent for two of the top riders in the world. Hall of Famer Johnny Velasquez and one of the strongest closers in the business, Joel Rosario. What is that like? Let's talk about what that's like right now. We are COVID-19 and you're trying to book mounts for two of the, the, the best and most in-demand jockeys in the country. How are you handling that? Well, you know, they both make things very easy, Kenny. They're both of, of utmost class, of utmost integrity, of utmost, um, you know, um, talent. And they just, you know, like I tell people, the guys that I've been lucky enough to represent, even going back to Fernando Toro in the 80s and Gary, Gary Stevens in the 90s and the early 2000s, Jerry Bailey, Garrett Gomez, Chris Antley, uh, Joel now, they are just different. It's like really good uh, athletes. I, I tell people, these kids, these guys have a thick sense. They, they can't usually teach what they do. It's like a guy hitting a golf ball or it's like Michael Jordan shooting a basketball. They are just different. They're a different echelon than everybody else. And the joy of working for these two guys is they're, they're super good guys. They understand the game. They appreciate what I do and how I do it. And look, I kind of just feel like I'm getting started with both of them. Um, our business is really starting to take off. And I, I look for a lot of success here in the next uh, uh, couple, three months leading into to the Breeders' Cup. Yeah, we're really getting into the meat of some of the uh, our racing schedules kind of been, you know, obviously flipped upside down, which you know that better than anybody. And now we're starting to get into the meat of some of the bigger stakes races that are coming up in the summer. And then, as you as you mentioned, leading into the fall for Breeders' Cup, your jockeys, Hall of Famer Johnny Velasquez, averaging $18 million the last two years in earnings for his mounts. Joel Rosario, 24 and $21 million in the last two years. So you're obviously doing something very, very well, and you guys are working beautifully. But, you know, kind of I want to start with the, the reason why I even wanted to talk to you is because of some things that have been happening recently. Now, the number one thing that jockeys have to be able to do, I've heard them all say to me, is be good losers, be good winners, and be good losers. Because you're not going to win every single time. And jockeys take a lot of criticism. I don't know if you are aware of how much the players love Joel Rosario and how much the players are frustrated by Joel Rosario. Have you heard that? Well, you know what? Like I tell people, he, he's, a, um, he's a target. 
Um, people play him. He's on fortunate enough to be on a lot of live horses. And I went to work for a job. If I'm ever considered good, Kenny, my, my, my big break in life, and I think everybody needs a break in life. I'm sure you had a, a break or two, but my big break was to work for somebody named Fernando Toro from 1980 to 1990, and he taught me so much. And one of the first things he said was, jockeys get far too much credit when they win, and they get far too much blame when they get beat. And gamblers are playing a lot of Joel because he's on a lot of live horses, and they're not cars. And people don't, you know, that even the gamblers who know a lot, they don't understand sometimes the intricacies of one animal. And, you know, they, the first guy to go under the bus is always generally going to be the jockey. And some trainers do that, too, to a fault. But, you know, he's, he's look, day in and day out, he's as good as anybody. He's as, as good a money rider as anybody. As you know, in my lifetime, the, the epitome of a jock as, as far as being strength, being strong and having strength is Lafitte Pinkai. And I'm sure you were young when he was uh, 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 going through his heyday, but he, he is the ultimate uh, uh, strength rider in the 47 years I've been doing this. And when they start mentioning Joel Rosario in the same sentence or breath as Lafitte Pinkai, as we, we know Lafitte Pinkai's son is, a, is an excellent, you know, on-air person, but his father was God as far as, when they start mentioning that Joel is comparable to him, that's the ultimate compliment. So I get that. I know on Twitter that, that he gets thrown under the bus. But they all can't win, and they're all not perfect. And good riders make less mistakes than other riders. So, you know, it comes with the territory, you know, so we're used to all that. I've been a target for years because <laughs> I've been lucky and I've been successful. And people are always trying to throw me under the bus because it's a totem pole business, I call it. If you're on top of the totem pole, people want to knock you off so they can move up one rung. So it's just part of the game, and we understand that. When there are situations um, when, you know, Joel makes a super strong finish and he finishes and he, and he runs second. And when you go back, do you guys talk about trips? Um, do you have that conversation with him about tactic before or after? Even though that's, I don't know if that's an infringement upon the, the trainer jockey relationship. Like, I never know how that works because you guys are, you're handicapping too because part of your job as the agent is to put him on the horse that you believe is going to have the best chance to win that race, right? My, yes. The, 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 like I tell people, there's no blueprint for what I do here. Um, I can't take you under my wing and teach you, give you a book or, or teach you what I do. It's a lot of trial and error. And over the years, you build up a reputation of, and, and a relationship with jocks. You can tell them some things and you're going to offend them. And you can tell something, tell them some things that are going to help. And I don't generally get involved with trips, except for the fact. You know, here, here's a here's a perfect situation. The other day we had quite a bit of rain going into the meet here at Saratoga, and you could see that the inside of the turf course uh, was probably a little deeper than down the middle of the racetrack. And I'll you know at times whisper to Joel, 
you know, I think the outside from the quarter pole, the wire is better than the inside or vice versa. Sometimes, you know, uh, the inside's where to be. So I try and coach them along these lines. Every once in a while, I'll say, you know what, Joel, you, you, you maybe should have tried to cut the corner. When they make a mistake, they're the first person that knows they made a mistake. You don't have to tell them. When you're, when you're doing your work with Johnny V and Joel, and they're both in the same race, are you trying to book mounts that are that play to their strengths? I and mean, even though they're in, they're exceptional all around riders, but is there any angle to that where you're trying to book according to their strengths? This is simple. <laughs> I'm trying to get each one individually on the best horse in the race that I can possibly find, whether they're a speed horse, a closer for, I'm a big believer that if you're a good agent, you can find a horse for that's no, that's a nobody horse and a nobody trainer and be in the right spot for them to win. Cause I think everybody can win. It's horse racing. And I, I, I take a lot of pride in, uh, if somebody calls up looking to see if I'm open, I'm very, very specific in which rider are you looking for first? Because I don't want one of them coming to me and say, you know what? He can't was looking for me and you pitched him, you know, Johnny says, you you pitched him, Joel, and the guy was looking for me. That doesn't happen. But my job at the end of the day is to be on the two to one shot and the five to two shot, one with one and one with the other, and not to step on each other's business. When one gets tied up, then I pick the other one. Do you, and I think you, I mean, I think everyone does too, a, a little bit. Do you speak Spanish? I speak poquito Spanish, not very much. <laughs> I knew you were going to say but, poquito. <laughs> right? I just, you know, I would rather, you know, Joel, people didn't realize this, but for a long time, Joel struggled with the language and uh, people didn't even really realize that. I, I believe for them to learn, uh, any kid that comes need, needs to speak English, they need to speak English to learn it. So even if I spoke fluent Spanish, I would have probably never got too involved with that because I want them to learn English as quick as possible. And that's just my what I think. Um, you know. Um, no, I understand that. You know, um, but Joel for for many years before I had him, he struggled with the language a lot, and he's learned on his own and and uh, learned on his own, and he's he's fluent now. But the the bottom line in all of it is when <laughs> when they get on these horses' backs, they 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 they're they're just different. These kids are just different. What do you think of horse racing, the industry? and diversity and inclusion in race. Do you feel like everyone is represented in horse racing? I, I believe everybody's represented and I'm just gonna tell you something. I love, I, I love the, 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 the Mexicans that work on the backside and the, and the, and, and the, the black people that work. There's, there's grooms that absolutely I worship over the years. Kenny, you have no idea how hard these people work. And if they left, they, the industry would be gone. These people are the backbone of our industry. I love these people. They, they work so hard. They, they make 
decent money. Most of them send their money, you know, back to their country and their families and stuff. You know, Charlie Whittingham for years had had grooms that I would absolutely just revere because they were so good at what they did and they were so, you know, needed and wanted, you know. Um, so I think there's, I think there's a lot of uh, uh, respect and diversity for all the ethnicities. And I, I hope it stays that way. Well, then my question would be if, if, and you're not the first person to tell me that, not the first person to tell me, you know, the, the great stories of people on the backside and grooms and everyone that they respect. But I guess my question would be, why don't those individuals get opportunities to train horses? So we're talking about equity and wealth. So we're talking about if you trust that individual's opinion with a horse, you think that that groom is so amazing, why wouldn't a, someone give them horses to train? So that maybe they could have wealth and then they're not sending pennies back to their families in another country. That's what we're talking about as far as respect is concerned. Does that make sense? Yes, you know what? I've never really thought of that. Um, why somebody wouldn't, um, you know, grab somebody um, and, and make a, a big time trainer out of them. I've never really thought of that. Um, because that's, you know, everyone tells the story about how they love the people on the backside. We all know they work hard. They're incredible. <laughs> I mean, people of all different ethnicities on the backside, everybody's got to get up at three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. White, black, Mexican, Haitian, doesn't matter. You all got to get up at four o'clock in the morning because that horse has to eat. And so everyone does a lot of great work with that. And I've always thought that that was really one of the really cool things about the horse racing industry and the culture is that everybody's there working together. Mm -hmm. But then mm -hmm. at the end of the day, when the wealth is handed out, it's going in a certain direction. The great question. And, I, you know, I've never quite really thought of that. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I'd have to think about it to try and properly answer that. That's I don't okay. Know. Tell you what, here's what you could do. You're already the best jockey agent there is out there. So you're doing what you're doing to help these riders. And you're part of giving these Latin families wealth. Like the Velasquez family has wealth now. Do you know what I'm saying? The Fernando Toro family has wealth because of the money they made on the track. The Joel Rosario family has wealth because of the money they made on the track. So you've done a good portion of that with your work. Now just go pick up Deshaun Parker and get him some grade ones. Or Rocco Bowen and get him some grade ones. Or Kendrick Carmouche, get him some grade ones and spread all that wealth around. That's how I we do it. that. I got <laughs> it. I got it. Ron, I really appreciate the insight that you gave me into um, your world. And it's a world that like you can't go to school to be a jockey agent. You you kind of you gotta have to be into this from the beginning. Like you weren't born into this. You just kind of were hanging out of the track, right? I was hanging out of the track and I ended up taking somebody that nobody really wanted. And I kind of took it on a whim. I was gonna try and go to UCLA to law school and I needed kind of, a, I thought a break. And I said, you know what? Let me, let's let me take this guy and just see where it goes. And lucky enough to be doing this since 1973. So I'm in my 47th. <laughs> year um, if you don't mind me asking did you finish college no i did not <laughs> i did not i went to, for two years and lucky enough i took some, this somebody named bobby howard and i started making a living and then i got somebody else and i was and i loved the track from from the time i was just a little kid and i thought you know what i'm gonna just like i said in seven years after i started i got fernando toro which you know he was major i made 
very good living. We won a Breeders' Cup, you know, won the Arlington Million. He won quite a few stakes, taught me the game. And, you know, I, I, I didn't need to go to, so I went to the school of hard knocks. Ron, appreciate your time and your insight. I really do. Um, continue success. You. And I uh, hope you and your family continue to stay safe and healthy. And of course, your riders especially continue to say to stay uh, safe and healthy. And uh, hopefully at some point, we'll all be at a track together again soon and we'll see you. Thanks, Kenny. Appreciate you very much. Thank you. All right. I'm super excited to continue our discussion here about jockey agents because uh, the guest that's coming up now, man, I'm so proud of this young man. We've watched him grow up and he has the pedigree to do what he's doing and more. It is, it's Jojo, we call him, but it's Jose Santos Jr. He's standing by right now, the jockey agent and son of the Hall of Fame rider is with us now. Jojo, are you there? Hey, I'm right here. Thanks for having me, man. Super excited to be on. Oh man, I'm super excited to talk to you because, um, you know, I this whole week when I've been getting set for this, I've been trying to go back in my mind. I'm like, man, I met this kid when he was like a, he was a kid. Like, how old were you when we first met? Because it was a long the, time ago. Yeah, first time we met, I believe, was 2002, 2003, around there. I was uh, seven years old. <laughs> yeah, that's the first time we met. And, you know, from the beginning, man, I mean, you know, of course, as a kid, I watched TVG religiously, and you were my favorite guy on there. You brought the energy, but you also were insightful. And, I mean, this is – this is the coolest interview I get to do for sure. I mean, I'm super excited about it. So thanks for having me. Um, and I appreciate the support and I appreciate everything you're saying because I'm more excited now because I actually know something about horses. You know, when we met back in 2002 and three, I was just learning the sport. And as a right. seven year old, you knew more about horses than I did. And so I was <laughs> just trying to figure it all out. But there was something about you when we met you. We're like, we all liked you. We're like, Jojo's just so cool and professional. You were just a really professional kid, which is so <laughs> like, we're just like, this kid's got manners. He just knows how to talk to everybody. But I think that came from the fact that I was doing research and you talked about how your dad, the Hall of Fame writer, Jose Santos, would take you everywhere with him. And you got a, you, you kind of got this firsthand experience of watching the business from uh, an early age. Yeah, I did. And, you know, like like you said, I got really lucky. My dad, you know, from the beginning, he he could tell my passion in the game. You know, he tells this story that I was six months years old and my little baby rocker and they throw on the replays and I would bounce up and down and I get all excited <laughs> and you turn off the replay show and I'd lose my mind. You know, and <laughs> I, I can't ever remember a time in my life where I didn't want to be involved in the races. And I got the opportunity to learn from the best. You know, I, I was very fortunate in that aspect where, you know, I'd go out and every day I'm around Johnny V and Angel Cordero and Alan Jerkins and, you know, all those guys, all those big guys. And, you know, I, I just took it all in and I was just so, so thankful that I was getting that opportunity. And now I'm just trying to do the best with what I've been given, you know, just try to really excel in what I what I really have a big passion in. You know, it's the one of the hardest things that, that for anyone is to find not just something you want to do. But if you can find a passion, I mean, that really will drive you for the rest of your life. And for you, you found that at an early age, and it seems like you never let go. You wanted to do different things, though, right? When you first started, when you were really small, you wanted to be a jockey? Yeah, I wanted to be a rider real bad. I mean, I, I had to convince my whole life. I was, I was always the smallest kid in class. Always. 
uh, growing up and you know when I was little my dad would take me out to go ride and I went riding classes I was I mean it was set in my mind you know in sixth grade seventh grade I'm the shortest kid in the class and I'm I'm convinced at that point you know I'm 12 13 years old and I'm shorter than any boy or girl in the class and eighth grade comes around and that's still rolling good and I showed up to high school and out of nowhere going into high school I sprouted up seven inches wow and it ripped my heart out I couldn't believe it <laughs> I was like where did this come from but my like dad an... always knew I always have really big feet and oh. hands and he was like you know you just hadn't you know grown into yourself yet but so I, I hit that huge growth spurt and it was coincidentally around the same time my dad had tried out being an agent for Fernando Hara. And uh, that's kind of where I picked up that passion. You know, uh, he, uh, he he's, you know, from South America, you know, Chile, can't really read or write in English that well. So, you know, he told me, you know, if you look up the horses, I'll go out and see the people, you know, and, you know, I'll help you out, you know, I'll give you some money throughout the summer. It'll be like your little summer job. So I started learning how to do that and it took me over and I was like, man, this is what I want to do. And uh, that's kind of where this blossomed from. That's beautiful that your father kind of opened up that area, not just opening up the area for you to learn, but also presenting a need for you. Your father looking at you and saying, look, I can't do this well myself. I need you to help me with this. What was right. that like when you're at a young age, your father looking you in the eye and saying, I can't do this part of it very well. I need well, you. you. You what know what's like? cool about me and my dad? My dad's always been like my best friend ever since I was a little kid. You know, he's, he's he never made me feel like I was like this little kid. Even when I was like eight or, you know, nine years old, he always made me feel like I was supposed to be there with him. Like, I, you know, I was I was set to be there with him. And uh, it it just kind of worked out really well. And, uh, you know, it was a really cool experience for him to give me that because at the time he was riding first call for Todd Pletcher. So I'm looking up all these Todd Pletcher horses at Delaware Park and, you know, Steve Hobby was there and <laughs> Mike Lucas was there at the time. So it was just a really, really, really awesome experience. And I got to learn a part of the game that I didn't understand really, which was, uh, you know, how what a big difference it makes, you know, switching up the level you run. Like when a horse is rising or dropping, how big of a difference that actually entails, you know. Horse will really move up just because they, they dropped in class just a little bit. Uh, you know something we've never seen i'm sure you see that all the time you know they'll run their best race and all they really do is run against easier competition but they got that confidence in themselves and, yeah you know, exactly i, I kind of got to learn that aspect of it and uh it, it worked out really really well and those are those early lessons are something that uh, you know i'm still using today do you speak spanish a good amount yeah uh you know, I, I understand a lot more than I can speak, but I can speak a really good amount, you know, definitely enough to get through the backside and be able to use at work. I find that that is a, um, a bit of a separation between generations, um, that the children of the parents that speak Spanish, your father speaks very fluent Spanish. But then because you're raised in this country, there's sometimes a disconnect in the household did your father always speak Spanish to you at home, or how did that work growing up? the funny thing. I learned most of my Spanish when I became an agent in high school. When I was 16 years old, I decided to take out my license the first time ever at Calder Racecourse because I grew up in Miami, and I never really spoke much Spanish. I understood it because of my family, you know, but I never really took the, you know, the incentive to learn it, which was a huge mistake. And 
I, I get back there at Calder and everyone speaks Spanish. Nobody speaks English. <laughs> yeah. You know, everyone's, everyone, I mean, that's kind of where people come into America, you know. You yep. ask all these guys, where did you start off? And they'll tell you, Calder, which actually is the case with one of the riders I represent, Miguel Mena. He, when he came to America, he came to Calder. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's so many people, trainers, riders, you know, exercise riders, grooms, that, that, that's where they come, you know, they come to Miami. And so I got back there and I was like, man, everyone speaks Spanish. I got to learn Spanish. So I just, you know, started really trying to take it in and understand what people were saying to me. And, you know, of course, I had friends in the jocks room and all that. So a lot of the Spanish that I, I now use, I, I actually picked up while I first became an agent. Wow. You've gotten off to such a great start. You have a great foundation which means that you should be able to, not only just to survive, but to thrive in this industry for a long time. I do have one more question about your family, and I can only ask you this question if we're not face-to-face. How many fights did you get in with growing up with people saying things about how unbelievably beautiful your mother is? (laughs) I got a terrible story. Me and this kid, Joe Colachico, like the same girl in the eighth grade, who uh, she's she's still a dear friend of mine. Her name's Megan Gillis, back mm-hmm. home, Hollywood, Florida. Very good friend of mine, awesome person. And uh, he, uh, we, you know, we we're feuding as young preteens do. And he posted the photo of my mom in the swimsuit edition on the teleprompter in the computer class. And when the teacher oh. turned on the teleprompter, it popped up, boom. Mm. I was like, oh. So I've kind of been getting bullied on that my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> but now, now, I, now I, you know, she's a beautiful woman. She's an also even more beautiful mother. So, you know, we, we just take that in stride. Now I'm getting, I've gotten used to it in my age. But uh, yeah, it's been some brutal times throughout my life on that, that's for sure. <laughs> You know, I just love the opportunity that I was given when TVG brought us on and I have a chance to meet all these really incredible people. And I remember when your mom brought brought you over to meet us and she was super nice and and uh, and you were just a great kid. And and we're all like, wow, yeah, JoJo's mom's incredible and super nice. And I and it never really occurred to me. I was like, when that kid gets to be a teenager, he's going to have a lot of fights. <laughs> well, you, you know, like the household I grew up in, you know, I've got a bunch of siblings, but I, I grew up in the household of my mom, my father, and then three sisters. Mm. And they're all beautiful girls, too. Yeah. So it wasn't just mom. I got I got it at all angles, you know. I went to high school with them. I got my friends trying to ask me for my sister's number. I was like, absolutely not. Very, very <laughs> sweetheart, please. She doesn't need you. Right, exactly. That's the, she does not need you. Right. Anything but you. Right. I will let you life. know if you're okay to date my sister. <laughs> exactly. So here you are. I, so how old are you now? 26, as of yesterday. Yesterday was my birthday. I turned That's 26 right. years old. I saw that. Yeah. Happy birthday, brother. Oh, 26. You, you can rent a car now. Look at you. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, it's pretty exciting <laughs> stuff. Rent a car, lower insurance. I mean, there's a lot, right? of, there's a lot of good things coming with, with that age. So I'm, I'm super excited about it. You know, I mean, I, I've never had a complex about getting older. You know, I'm, I'm really excited about it. And, you know, I it's kind of cool because, like, I feel like I'm not the little kid anymore of the track. You know, I've been working at the circuit that I've been on now for seven years, and everyone's like, all right, you know, this, this guy's growing up. You know, he's, yeah. he's here to stay. So at what point will you decide to kind of pare things down? And here's what I mean. It's hard 
to be a jockey agent for one rider. You have three, and there are three good riders. Miguel Mena, man, that dude is on fire. Yeah, he's a good rider. Declan Carroll is those one of those riders that when I'm not paying attention, he steps up and wins. If I'm yeah. not paying close attention, I'm like, who was that? Oh, come on, not him again. And then um, you have David Cabrera? Yep. yep. Oh, my David goodness. As well. Dude, yeah, you guys are a, crushing. No, it's going really well right now. And, uh, you know, what happened there was I, I worked with David in 2018, the whole year, and we had an awesome, awesome year. And, uh, you know, he uh, he decided to go different ways. I went to Kentucky because I hooked up with Miguel, and he decided he wanted to stay on that circuit he was on. So I came back to Arkansas uh, when all this COVID stuff went down. My girlfriend, uh, she's from Arkansas, so we came over here and we hung out, and uh, I still had Miguel going to Kentucky whenever that was going to open up. And I'd worked out a deal with uh, Declan Carroll to pick up his book as well. Cause we were both at the fairgrounds and we talked about it on the way out. And uh, me and David have always stayed close friends. So he called me right before Lone Star and said, look, I'm splitting up with my agent. And, you know, I had so much success with you and, you know, we get along great and, you know, you think we can hook back up and, I love David, man. I mean, a lot of people don't know him because he's on the smaller circuit, but that is a race rider. He's a really good rider, and uh, he gave me the opportunity to hook back up with him, and now now I'm working with all three. And, you know, at first it was a little hard to manage, but I'm really getting into the groove of it now, and I'm enjoying it a lot. Uh, I love to watch races, so that's that's not the hard part for me at all. And, you know, with everything going on in the world right now, a lot of draws have been moved to Zoom, so I'm able to – handle all, all my business the right way and it's, it's been going great you know all of them have been headed the right way we're all all of them I feel like are on a upward trajectory business wise and we just want to keep it going that way and every day I want them to feel like I'm putting in as much effort for them as humanly possible and I, I think they that they do feel that way so I think they're happy and I know I'm happy is it important that you you keep them I guess separate because I don't really see them usually riding at, uh, I think Declan and, and, and uh, Miguel Mena were on the same circuit, but I right. don't think David's ever been on the same circuit with them. Is that important no, for you to keep them kind of separate? Uh, I I like it just because we can spread out, you know, our business. They If they're on the same circuit competing against each other at all times, one's always going to be doing better than the other. That's just the facts yeah, of it. Right. But if they're on separate circuits, they can all be doing great you know, at the same time and all have their own business and, you know, be able to grow their own brand, I feel like. So right now, Miguel is riding at Ellis Park. Declan and Carol is at uh, Indiana Grand. And David's at Prairie Meadows for the next few weeks until Remington Park opens up. And then he'll be relocating to Remington Park where he, he's won the title there the last two years. Yeah, he's a bully there. That's for sure. He's a bully there at Remington. Yeah. <laughs> Does a no, great job. He, he, I mean, he's he's known in that area. Yeah. They, they, they love him running over there. So, I mean, we're excited about that meet coming up. Try to try to get that title again. That's what we're in it for. Yes, sir. You know, that's the one thing I think about with Jockey Agent is we've talked about, you know, you being born into this sport. And, 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 and with that, there comes a few advantages with that and with your name and with the fact that, that they've seen you there at the track since you were just a baby, like they all know you, that helps. But I often wonder for someone who's not in the industry, what, what would they, 
how would they get involved in being a, a jockey agent? Like, how do you get involved if you don't know people? Yeah, you know, this is uh, that's actually something that bothers me a lot, to be quite honest, because I, I it's something about our sport that I wish we would be better at is inviting new people, making it easy for them. Like you said, for me, I was given a great opportunity. And of course, anybody who has that opportunity given to them, they have to prove themselves. And I try to work every day to make sure that, you know, I'm not just handed something. I want to go out and get it. But, you know, it's really sad that we don't have programs to get people who are interested in horse racing an easy way to come in without being abused because it's long, hard hours for small pay a lot of times. And, you know, some people just can't stick it out. No matter how much passion they have for it, they just feel like this is never going to happen for me. In a lot of cases, they're not wrong. You know, they're not given the tools to make it happen for them, you know. So, I, you know, I wish we had some kind of way to do that. But I, I always tell anybody, you know, I'm on social media. Uh, my phone number's in the back of any condition book. If I can help out with anybody who wants to learn about being an agent or ask me questions on what I do, please reach out because I'd love to see more people in it. You know, the, the more people doing well, we can work together and we can all do great together the way I see it. Yeah, it helps to build the entire business and the entire industry. And uh, like we've always been saying at TVG, we're like, don't worry about your piece of the pie. Let's just make the pie bigger. And if we make the pie bigger, your piece will automatically get bigger. Um, but that, that's one thing that's difficult to explain to people. And what I like about what's happening in our country and in this industry right now, I am twice your age. And I obviously have made some comments and I wanted to make it clear to everybody that how I feel about horse racing and what we need to do for diversity and equality and equity and diversity. And then you wrote a very wonderful essay that I think was part of that series that came out in, in the, uh, the right. Thoroughbred Daily, right? Right, yeah, I did. I was, and I was you, you addressed that and I love that you addressed that. Sorry to cut you off, Jojo. I love that you addressed it from your perspective because I can't speak for for Latin families. I can only speak for black people and how black families feel. But I love how you brought that perspective as well. How do you feel about the way diversity is handled in horse racing? Well, you know, I, we have so much, like I said, so much diversity just right there on any backside you go to. You walk into any backside, there's people from all walks of life who've had so many different experiences and you know, come from so many different places and the way that they've gotten there are so different. I mean, you could go back there and ask somebody a story. You know, how did you get to here? And you're gonna hear one of the something that blows your mind. I've done it many times, and you will yeah. not believe the sacrifices that some people have had to take to just get there. And the thing is, all those people have families. I mean, I see I see them all the time, especially right now. I live two blocks from church bounds. So all the neighborhood kids from Churchill, they live on the same block as me. And I see them hanging out and playing, and I'm like, man, I, I wish, you know, right now you could see their passion for the horses. They're all pretending to be race horses out in front of their front yard, like I used <laughs> to do when I was a little kid, riding a little pretend horse. And, you know, it's, <laughs> it's kind of sad that we don't have something in place for them to use that passion. You know, their family's given their life, and they want to have a part of the game. If we could give them those tools to show them, hey, you can do more than what your parents did, because that's why they're working this hard. They want you to do more. You know, if we could help them elevate that, it, it would it would do so much, not just for our own backside community, but, you know, in, in my case, my Hispanic community as well. Absolutely. I, I think about that often about it, it, the thing that really separates us all is one word at the end of the day. It's called wealth. Yep. 
and and wealth has you know a lot of black people and and Latin people, Haitian, Jamaican on the back side, they've been denied that wealth, the chance to to change your whole family's trajectory by being a part of this sport and and you, I mean, your family's your your father's not a billionaire, but you guys had wealth growing up. Right. Your father won right. a lot of races, and that changes oh, yeah. your life. Oh, it changed mine, and you know the but the thing we never forgot was where he came from. You know, my father, he, he was born in Concepcion, Chile, in a house of 14 people, but it was a two-bedroom house wow. where they would get to shower one day out of the week, and, they, you know, it was all dirt floors, and he had to go pit pocket people for money when he was six years old to bring back home so his family could eat. Yikes. You know, I mean, it was, he, he grew up in a very, and I was lucky enough to where he took me there so I could see it, you know, at a, not not too young to where I didn't understand it, but, you know, I got to appreciate it for the older part of my life as well. You know, I was very fortunate to get to do that. And, and you know, the whole time, even though he was a big jockey, he, he would always, you know, do barbecues for people on the backside and invite the whole backside of kids. And we get to, you know, talk and meet these other children who, you know, are living different lives than us. But, you know, we, we know that we're the same. You know, as yeah. different as we are, we're, we're both the same. We're human beings and we both have the same passion of horses, you know, we can play and, you know, get to know each other and, you know, see no real difference between each other. So, you know, I, I, I always see these people working so hard on the backside and, you know, I just wish that we would do something to make sure that, you know, those, those parents feel like, all right, my kids are going to have a shot because I'm, I'm putting in these hours right now. You know, I know that that's what they want because I know that's why my dad works so hard. So I don't want to, I don't think that agents are supposed to be handicappers or touts or anything like that. But I know you do have to handicap because you got to know the condition book, right? You right, have to right. know what's happening. Right. You got to know the condition book and the horse is going in each race. Is, are there any, is there any horse or any horse says you feel like, you know what? My rider has a really great shot at a price coming up uh, anytime this week or this weekend. See if we can find one for you that, that we like a lot. You know what? I like this horse a lot. At, a, at Ellis Park on Friday, race three. I called this guy last minute to enter in this race because it was going to be a small field. Uh, the horse's name is Colombiano for this guy, John Hill. He's on a small farm in Indiana, and uh, he's got this $5,000-3 horse that uh, I've been running over at Belterra. He just lost by a short margin last time, and I think he's going to fit in that race real well. But I love that. I love the insight that you gave. Who's going to, uh, you said that's at Ellis? Yeah, that's at Ellis. Miguel Menno will be on that horse. And actually, John Hill's one of the first guys that really started riding for in Kentucky. He, he keeps a small barn, but I always just try to pay attention to, you know, what conditions his horses have because he's a really good horseman. You know, a lot of people don't know him because he just transferred himself and his family. And, you know, he's just this guy who's got a couple horses on a farm somewhere in Indiana, but he does a really, really good job. So anytime I can get one of his horses, in a race where they're going to look live, I know that the horse is going to show up themselves. What do you think it will take for you and any of your riders to get shots on triple crown horses? I mean, that's something you kind of have to work to get into a barn. How difficult is that for you at this stage? Uh, right now, that's something that I think is really realistic with Miguel. Um, you know, Miguel's been on the Kentucky circuit now for 15, around 15, 14 years. And uh, we, we've been together a year and a half, but we've already had some friends. We won the uh, Bourbon last year with Peace Achieved. 
and it led to a Breeders Cup mount for Mark Cassie and we just won the Stephen Foster on Tom Zeta about yeah. a month ago. So, you know, he's picking up steam in those big races and he's ridden some derbies and Preaknesses and Belmonts before and right now we're getting ready for the Ellis Park Derby. You know, yeah. I'm searching for a mountain there that can kind of propel us to the Kentucky Derby and I've got some really good leads on that. So I, I think uh, everything can shake out good in these next few weeks. I think it's very possible that Miguel could could end up in a big race like that and definitely in some of the other stakes on that undercard. Uh, as, as for Declan, Declan is, uh, you know, he's still really young. He's 21 years old, but he's only been riding for two years. But he's got a really good end right now with Mark Cassie. His father's the assistant over there, and they really trust him a lot. So I think in coming years, you know, in that barn itself, you know, they they get great horses all the time. That barn oh, Mark yeah. does a great job, and David does a great job as his assistant as well, and there's other assistants in that barn that, you know, help keep that all together. And, you know, I think he could get a real opportunity in there, and everyone really like in Declan in Kentucky and Indiana. You know, uh, he's going to be a big name in that region soon to come. And, uh, you know, with David, it's a little tougher to get those kind of horses just because of where he's located in the world. Yeah. But, uh, you know, whenever David's ready to make that big step, you know, there's a lot of factors into it. You know, his yeah. family's in Oklahoma and he's got his house over there. But if he ever decides to make that big step to a big track, it won't take long for people to catch on because he's he's just as talented as anybody else on those circuits. Dude, you got this thing on lock. Heck, I want to be a writer for you. You just sound prepared <laughs> sure and professional and yeah. confident. We're trying, man. We're trying, you know? <laughs> You just yeah, we're trying. That's for sure. You know, you just got to show up every day and just keep working hard. That's that's what I tried. My father told me that and when I first became an agent, he said, work hard every day and always be honest. So that's all I'm trying to do out here. Just work hard, be honest and, you know, get what I can get. A couple of things before I let you go, I kind of wanted to to ask when um, what was like the biggest day that you've had with your clients? And what did you do to celebrate? The uh, the the coolest win so far was was the Bourbon last year at Keeneland, and uh, that's because my dad was in town, mm -hmm. and uh, he came in town for opening week at Keeneland. And you know, I only get to see him like twice a year right now because I'm moving all the time, and he's in Florida with his feed company that he has. And uh, he came in town that weekend, and it was awesome. You know, we went out and saw Funny Side at the nice. horse park, you know, and we were just kind of hanging out all weekend at the track. And I had this horse in, I knew he was live, and I'd never won a graded stake before as an agent. And, you know, we get to watch this race together, and, you know, we the horse crosses the wire, and, you know, I, I mean, the smile on his face, and it makes me want to cry right now because he see how proud he was of me you know i mean it was it that's was beautiful really, it was an awesome moment so uh after that we went to our friend tommy walter's restaurant had some dinner and uh went to the hotel room and just knocked out and i woke up early the next morning and went back to work but uh it was just a really cool moment to share i mean he he rewatched the replay like five times while we were <laughs> he couldn't believe it <laughs> so it was, it was a lot of fun you know, but, uh, there's been some really cool stakes when uh, in in the time just you know just with friends uh, I, I've had this win one time I got a buddy Liam Benson who he trained horses now he's sells shares for studs at TaylorMade but uh, 
it was really cool because we were both going to school together at the University of Louisville and he was training a horse and my rider was riding his horse at the same time and we won a big race at Keeneland an allowance race over there and you know we were we were 21 years old at the time it was you know that was a lot of fun experiences but you know I've, I've been lucky to where I've got to move around a lot and you know I've worked at Mountaineer I've worked at you know Indiana tracks in Oklahoma Texas uh Kentucky, Iowa. So, you know, I, I've had a lot of fun experiences at any place. It, it's it's hard for me not to have a good time at a racetrack. Yeah, especially when you're winning races like that. It's got to be nothing better than your dad there, man. That's the most oh, beautiful man, thing. Was, I totally get all choked up just thinking about, like, yeah, yeah it, man. It was really cool. And I got this cool photo. My friend took a photo of us watching the race together while the race uh, that's cool. Yeah, it, it was really cool. Uh, you know, and you mentioned funny side, and I, and I often wondered – because you were super young when your father won with Funny Side, right. but you're you're old enough to comprehend what's happening. Right. And how did that make you feel when everyone questioned your father's integrity as a jockey? Everyone questioned your dad, and I just can't imagine what that's like in your house. How'd that make you feel? What was crazy about that was, you know, my dad, from a young age, that's my hero. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I wanted to be him. <laughs> you know, growing up, I, I wanted yeah. to do it. And, you know, anyone who knows my father knows that that's, you know, integrity is his thing. You know, he's, he don't want to cut no corners at anything. You know, he, he's the guy who, you know, he was the leading rider in North America, waking up every day at 5 a.m. going to work still. You know, he, he doesn't take anything for granted because nothing was handed to him. Yeah. So uh, it was really weird, you know, when it came out, the new paper that came out when was the Miami Herald, and we were living in Miami. So my whole school knew. So oh. we had to get pulled out of school because, you know, everyone at school was talking about it. Then you turn on the news, and it was on the news. And, you know, my little sister, she was only five. I remember she woke up my mom. She goes, you know, I didn't know my dad was such a bad person. Mm. You know, but she didn't get it at the time. She's like, you know, what's what's going on? I had no idea that this was my father. And, you know, it finally gets cleared, but, you know, it, it no matter what, it, it, it's always what people will bring up. You know, anyone who remembers that will bring up, oh, isn't that the, the jock who they thought they caught with, you know, a machine during a race? And, you know, it's it's really sad because he, he worked his whole life to, to get that moment for it to get tainted like that was unfortunate. But I'll tell you, there's no redemption. Kim went in that Preakness because yeah. it was, it, yeah. that's what, you know, was able to show up all the haters and tell them, you know, um, didn't he show his hand? Didn't your dad? Yeah, yeah. Did he open his hand at the end? He did. He opened his hand. Nothing in the hand. Yeah, he, he couldn't help him. <laughs> I don't blame him. I would have done the same thing. Exactly, yeah. Jojo. Yeah, yeah exactly, absolutely. Brother. Tell him to sit down. <laughs> I don't blame him. He's a funny dude. I mean, I, I figured you something crazy like that. But, but uh, you know, also think about it was also difficult for him because he was a bored lemon drop kid in 99. Right. And they won the Belmont and everyone was like, you know, charismatic. That's a that's one of the first things I ever saw, Jojo, was um, I had just signed on with TVG, but we weren't up and running yet to cover the Belmont. So I'm watching it from home. And I still remember it. I was telling my wife and my friends how I was sitting on the couch. And then when it happened and Chris Antley kind of like fell off the horse and tried to grab the leg. And he's holding charismatic. And I started crying. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe this jockey's holding up this 1200 pound animal. Right. Dude, I never knew who won the race. Oh, yeah. No, a, a lot of people never didn't. Knew. Actually, I'll tell you something cool. The guy who got second in that race was Roberto Castillo Jr., and that's my mom's brother. 
interestingly enough. So, yeah. you know, it was a cool Belmont. Yeah, it was terribly marred by that incident. Thankfully, Chris was able to save Charismatic's life. With one. Yeah. I mean, you know, that there's beautiful painting and pictures of him holding up that leg. And, you know, I always feel like that's a, a great image to show how much compassion that these people work at the racetrack and yourself after these horses, you know, as much fun as we have with the game of horse racing, the biggest part for all of us is the horses. You know, there's, we're nothing without them. We can't do this without these horses. And, you know, uh, that's always a, a moment that stuck out in my mind. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's a microcosm of just how difficult it is in, in this sport is where you have everyone rooting for this one horse and he's in contention. He takes a, a funny step. Chris notices immediately that 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 he took a weird step. But you've got to keep your dad's got to keep riding. Like we're in a race, man. I gotta go. And so he's got to keep going. You know, the trainer's got Lemon Drop Kid ready to go. He's ready to rock. He's the strongest one there. And while everyone's still lamenting the fact that Charismatic didn't get a chance at the, the Triple Crown, you know, you guys are in the winner's circle. And it's happened a couple of times. It's happened. Obviously, we saw with Zenyatta in Blame. Right. Where everyone's like, what do you mean Zenyatta didn't win? We came here for that. Right. Who's this other right. horse in the winner's circle? We didn't come to see you. And so many times you'll see that in horse racing. That's why we say that's why we run the races, right? Yep. Yeah, because uh, horse racing will surprise you. It's a beautiful, beautiful sport. And yep. after doing uh, news for eight years and a morning show, I was like, what do I want to do? It's like, man, I have so much fun with racing. Oh, yeah. And so that's why I came back. And I really feel like there's something that I can do and I can help. And and um, diversity is one of the things that I'm trying to push for here within the industry. So I want to say, once again, I really appreciate that that uh, essay that you wrote. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate the stuff that you're putting out there as well, man. You're 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 helping change it. So just keep doing what you're doing. That's for sure. I do well, we'll got to share how... a story with you, though. Before What's up, brother? Leave. What's up? In 2004, I was at... Uh, the racetrack with my father and I watched Declan's Moon win the Hollywood Futurity and this horse Giacomo is coming rolling up for second mm -hmm. I told my dad I said that's my derby horse <laughs> I told him I said that horse is winning the derby I'm telling you and he keeps you know showing up and flying and flying and all these preps showing up and my dad keeps asking me that's still your derby horse I said that's still him and nobody else is on it with me. And I'm watching the work show that TVG would do. And Ken Rudolph said, this is my derby horse, Giacomo. And I said, all right, somebody else is on it with me. <laughs> so while they're heading out, you're the only other person I know who likes this horse at the time. So they're heading out. And Mike Smith, you know, he's a really good friend of my dad and my mom. Mm -hmm. He's about to walk out to go down the stairs to go out and, you know, meet Giacomo and the connections. And I told him, I said, you're about to win the Kentucky Derby. I was like <laughs> nine years old. I told him, you're about to win the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> He's thinking, you know, it's crazy, probably. And he goes, let me tell you something. If I win the Derby, you come in the winner picture. I said, absolutely. I ran to the window, gave my mom $5. I said, I need $5 to win on Giacomo at 50 to one. And I was able to get in the winner circle as well. And I was probably going just as nuts as you when he went running by me. I was losing my mind. I completely feel what you were doing in that moment because I was a little nine-year-old version of you doing the same thing. I was like, I've been screaming at people for seven months. This horse is going to win the Derby, and I'm, I'm finally getting vindicated. Yeah. Oh, dude, I didn't even know that, JoJo. I had yeah. no idea, oh, yeah. man. Loved him. Loved him. I'm in the winner circle picture. 
Oh man, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, like the only time I've been in a picture with Giacomo, he scared the hell out of me. Um, he won the San Diego at okay. Del Mar. He only won three races in his career. Right, right. And he won the San Diego at Del Mar, and they asked me to come into the winner's circle. And I'm like, yeah. But he was like, John Sheriff's like, well, he's feeling pretty studdish, so just be careful. And yeah, he was kind of aggressive. And I have that picture, and the winner's circle picture is everybody looking at the camera but me. I'm looking at Giacomo like, what the freak is he going to do next? Because he's freaking me out right now. That's it's awesome. So, <laughs> it's That's so awesome. awesome. It's so That's cool. Fun. That horse sticks out to us, man. I'll never forget Giacomo. That's for sure. I know you won't either. Oh, my goodness. Never. And it's amazing how, you know, I was gone for eight years and I came back last year. And, and there are so many other people who have stories where they're like, dude, I liked that horse, too. I was oh, like, yeah. are you serious? They're like, yeah. And they've actually been able to show me the receipts. Like I saw one guy sent me like his ticket that he kept and everything. And he's, I was like, that's awesome. Yeah, that is cool. So there that were is. some, there were more people than just us, but yeah, yeah we were the yeah, smart They're ones. out there. They're few and far between. We were on. Let's <laughs> yeah. see if we can find ourselves another one. It'd be even better if uh, your jockey's riding the oh, next yeah, Giacomo absolutely. that we yeah. see, brother. That's what we're working for. So hopefully we can get it done. Man, I'm so proud of you. Thank I am you, so man. excited for what you're going to do. And I, I can't wait to that. see what happens as you continue moving forward. Jojo Santos, he's a jockey agent. He's got David Cabrera, he's got Declan Carroll, and he's got Miguel Mena, and all three of them are outstanding riders. Appreciate you coming on, man. And we're gonna look for that horse. You said Colombiana? Colombiana. On Friday. Friday. Colombiana, Friday at Ellis Park. That'll work. All right, brother. We'll see you, you in the winner's circle. Yep, appreciate it. All right, there it is. That is the end of this episode. I really want to thank our guests, Agent Ron Anderson and Jose Santos Jr. for kind of bringing us into their world and also appreciate JoJo for giving us what he thinks is a nice horse to play on Friday. It is in Ellis Park, race number three, Colombiano. That horse was morning line four to one. He might float up a little bit because the connections are really a smaller barn. So Colombiano, race number three at Ellis Park on Friday is what we're looking for. And it's also going to wrap up this show. Thank you so much for continuing to uh, download and listen as we try to take you inside the world of horse racing because we truly believe in horse racing and we believe it's probably the greatest sport out there. Just trying to make it a little bit better every single week, 35 to 55 minutes at a time. How about that? All right. That's going to do it for me. I'm Ken Rudolph. Thank you so much for hanging out with us here on Believe in Horse Racing. We'll see you again next time. And in the meantime, let's get this money together. And we'll see you. Peace. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.